0: We are on page um, 139. We're continuing a letter, uh, a footnote to letter nine. And what we've been describing is the fact that Rabbi Hirsch had mentioned that part of the tachlis, part of the purpose of getting out into the world and leaving the land of Israel behind and going into exile was to spread the knowledge of the Torah and Judaism throughout the world. Not necessarily directly Torah and Judaism, but perhaps also, to spread it in the offshoots, right, as we mentioned Christianity. So we actually were in the middle of that footnote, footnote number six, and what we had been describing is that Christianity did shear with the world some of the wisdom of the Torah, but it missed a very critical component of the Torah, and they focused on the fact that the physical world is incurably evil, right, and preached ideals of abstinence and celibacy, right? and that's the highest ideal in Christianity, right, as we see the priests. Are not allowed to get married and what we read last time is this beautiful sentence from rabbi hirsch in the words of rabbi shopschner fall hirsch judaism allows man to find god where man finds himself whereas christianity allows man to find god where man loses himself right in other words you have to completely dis in christianity you have to completely disconnect from the goof, from the body right from the physical existence to connect to god whereas in judaism it's not true at all in judaism the highest level would be to elevate the physical and turn that into a spiritual experience as well. It has been said that paganism deified this world and totally denied a higher world. Classical Christianity preached otherworldliness and rejected this world, right? So paganism says there's no, there's not going to be a next world, right? And the spiritual, if I can't see it on an MRI, it doesn't exist. And therefore it's all about a sensual world. It's all about enjoying This world, to the extent that it's possible to enjoy this world, whereas Christianity is all about saying, remove yourself from this world and all about what the next world is going to be like. Only the Jew was taught by the Torah how to link the two in order to lift this world to the level of the spiritual. Very critical point that it is impossible to achieve this goal without Torah guidance is indicated by the principle. That if a non-Jew vows to sacrifice a shlomim sacrifice in the temple. So a shlomim sacrifice is what is called a peace sacrifice. A peace sacrifice could be brought different times. One of the times that it was brought is every Yom Tov when people would go up on a pilgrimage, right? They would have the Ola regal. We would go up to Jerusalem the three times a year. And we were bring what is called shlomim offerings, right? Now, those shlomim offerings, part of it would be sprinkled on the altar. Part of it would be eaten by the priests, and part of it would be eaten by the B'nai Israel, by the people who had brought it as a carbon. Now, that is true only for someone who is a B'nai Israel, someone who is a member of Israel, right? But if someone is not a member of Israel, and they vow to bring a shlomim offering that is meant to bring peace between this world and the world up above, right? it actually is automatically defaults into an ola offering. Ola offering is fully burnt on the mezbah, on the altar. None of it is consumed by man. What's the idea? So what he's explaining is, only a Jew can bring a shlomen, which is meant to bring peace between God and the world. And part of which is eaten by the donor in purity. A non-Jew can give a sacrifice to God in toto, right? As the ola is given, but he cannot eat from it in holiness, right? It, it, It is not possible for non-Jew to engage with the world, to lift up the world to the extent that is actually possible. So in truth, the reason why Christianity preaches this idea is because that's the highest level that they can achieve. Without the Torah, it is impossible to achieve any higher. I mentioned previously, and I wanna just flesh that out a little bit more, the idea of what Paul was trying to do when he came to turn Christianity away from Judaism. So his purpose in doing so, his immediate purpose was to ensure that the Jewish people who had been falling off and following Christianity would not find it so appealing, wouldn't find it so attractive because it would be so far removed from from what Judaism was until that point, right? But in the process of removing from it any semblance of mitzvah observance, right? It made it impossible for a religion that could focus on elevating the mundane and making the mundane spiritual. How's that possible? Without the ability to learn Torah, without the ability to follow the divine commandments, it would be impossible to actually engage with the physical world in all of its matters and yet still manage to elevate it nonetheless, right? So the only possibility was to remove yourself from the world, right? And in truth, there really are Gemara's, there are, there are Talmudic passages that say similar ideas. What they describe is that the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, is waiting by our door, right? As we know from what God tells Cain, right? God tells Cain when he is thinking about killing Habel before he kills Abel. So God tells him the evil inclination is waiting for you by your door. If you want, you can dominate him. But if not, you will be overcome. And the Gemara explains that it is only through learning the Torah and through doing the mitzvot that we have a shot of elevating ourselves and being able to engage with the world in a way that makes it more holy and not disengaging. Which means that as soon as Paul removes mitzvah observance from early Christianity, right? So it's no longer possible for them to overcome the engaging with the world and yet still being, still making the world a better place by taking the physical and elevating the physical. It was no longer possible. So the ideal then did have to become this ideal of just removing yourself from the world, right? Uh, one more point along yeah, one more point along those ideas, so there's a famous dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, right? the house of, of Shammai and the house of, house of Hillel, which are the two famous uh, Tanayim uh, lived about uh, over 2000 years ago, and the dispute goes like this, is it better for the world that for us to have been created, or better for us not to have been created, and they go back and forth about that right, would it be better for souls not to have to come to this earth, or is it better for us to come to the earth. And the conclusion is, it would have been better for us not to come to the earth. But now that we've come to the earth, we all, our only choice is to do the best that we can, given the tools that we have. So what that's implying is that if you don't have the tools, it's better to just remove yourself from the world, From the world, right? Because to the extent that you engage with the world, you're doomed to failure without the correct tools. It should be noted that in other contexts, Rabbi Shamsha and Rafael Hirsch discusses other aspects of Christianity, notably in in not sure what that's referring to where he rejects the concept of original sin elsewhere he rejects the the miracle of the loaves i think over there what he says is the idea of the miracle of the loaves is that it is possible to do a miracle but what the torah tells us is it's possible to have a false prophet who will engage in a miracle will be able to overturn the rules of nature for a limited period of time in this world but that is not an indication that they are actually a true prophet as the torah itself explains and he also points out the Torah stresses Moshe's human origin and nature. Whereas in later times, a Jew whose genealogical table was not available. And because he brought the world, a few sparks of light borrowed from the man Moses came to be considered by the nations as begotten of God. Right? But the Torah tells us again and again about who Moshe is. Right? Just today, I saw a beautiful idea about Moshe, right, that we, we are told about Moshe, that he is un of Mikal Adam, that he is the most humble of all men, right, now how could he have been the most humble of all men, right, so the idea is that he recognizes he is born with special gifts, he's born the seventh generation from Avraham Avinu, right, seven is always considered to be a big number, he's born the seventh generation from Avraham Avinu, and he is the son of Amram and Yochaved, So he was destined to be a holy individual. He had all of the gifts, he had all of the character traits that would make it very possible for him to be exceptionally successful in life. Question is, what does he do with that attitude? And the answer is he is a humble person because he doesn't just say, I'm not on a high level. That's not what he says. He says, I am on a high level but he also recognizes the good in everybody else. And that kind of individual is able to recognize the good in everybody else and say, yes, I, I've done very well with what I've been given, with my God-given gifts. But everybody else has done exactly what they should have done given their set of gifts, right? That ability is what makes him the most humble of all men. That ability is what makes him someone who we recognize he came from a man, but yet he reached the heights of being able to speak to Hashem. But we focus on the fact that he is born of man. And we do focus on that. As opposed to when we talk about when we talk about it, Yashka, we talk about, you know, their their messiah, they focus on the fact that they don't know who his father is and therefore he must have been born of God, right? His remarks concerning the earthen character of the altar have been understood as emphasizing that the altar serves to raise us towards God rather than to bring the divine down to earth as Christianity would view it, right? So Hirsch explains that the purpose of the altar is to bring us up towards God As opposed to bringing Hashem into the earth, we're able to take the physical and elevate it. I think what he's referring to over here is the fact that the altar, one of the altars, was hollow in the middle, right? It was covered with a wooden and copper cover, but on the inside, the portable one, it was actually hollow. So what they would do is when they would come to rest in the encampments, they would actually fill the inside with earth. Why did they fill it with earth? Well, it could have just made it not hollow. So the idea is to say that the, it's coming from the earth up, right? We're taking the earth and we're raising it up. We're making the place in which we can build a connection to Hashem. We're using the earth for that purpose, right? A way of expressing our belief of how it's possible to elevate the mundane. Okay. Uh, take care, everyone. Be well. Good night.